I mean, there are going to be, you know, there's some situations where you're like, hey, give me my coat. No. And, and what, I, what I read in that, though, is that Joseph was even concerned not to hurt this gal, even though she's being a hussy to him. He's like leaving his coat and off he runs. But now she's got evidence that she's going to work. Her, you know, she's not going to say, honey, by the way, I've been making the moves on your servant. No wife's going to say that. So she says, he made the moves on me. Now, what seems very clear and evident is that he doesn't quite believe her. Because remember, this guy is the guy who's literally trained to kill you with his bare hands. Now, that's not the guy to go after his wife. And in that, we really doesn't do that. But rather, he throws him in jail. Now, by the way, the jail, for those of you who've been with us, where is that jail? is in his house. Okay, that's a real bummer. That means you're underneath while you're hearing that floozy talking up there and you're like, what did I do? It's twice now I got put in this situation and I haven't done anything wrong. You really think I'm living a good life, bad things shouldn't happen to me? You really think God owes you that? And the guy gets more press in scripture than Abraham. Matter of fact, he gets more press in Genesis than anyone. Adam, Noah, none of those guys get the press that this guy gets. He starts in about 37 and he works all the way through 50 with one chapter in between that's given to Judah. That's a lot of press. As if God were to say, hey, you guys, check out my boy. Now, you could see Joseph kind of go, mm, check out my boy. I don't like this, check out my boy. I mean, you think of Job. Job's like, oh, man, great, this is it. When you're having a conversation with Satan, could you mention someone else next time? You know, and, and, But in this, Joseph has been obedient, and then God is with him in the prison. And as God is with him in the prison, he's lifted to the place now with favor with the jailer, where he's now responsible for all of the other prisoners. Now, that's a weird idea, don't you think? Let's leave one of the prisoners responsible for all the other prisoners. Which means he's got to dole out all the food. He's got to make sure all the waste is removed. He's responsible for these guys. And he looks at two guys that get thrown down there and they're sad. Now, and he goes, wow, you guys are sad. That's weird. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking he's walking around prison and two guys are sad and that's weird. That's weird. You know, nobody's going, nobody knows the trouble. I've... I mean, everyone else is like jolly. This is like weird in prison Disneyland. Everyone's like, happy to be in prison with Joseph. And two guys are, wow, you guys are sad. That's strange. We had dreams and they kind of freaked us out. Well, shoot, tell me those dreams. Well, I had this dream and, and, and I was, you know, I've been the butler, the chief cupbearer for the king. And, and so I had this dream that I was squeezing grapes again, three clusters of it. And then I gave the cup back to Pharaoh. And he goes, wow, actually, that's a good dream. The dream is, is that in three days, three days, you're going to be lifted up and that cup will be restored. The other guy who's the baker says, well, I had a dream too. His was good. Let's try mine. Well, what's yours? Well, I had this dream that I wore three baskets on my head. And on those three baskets were all kinds of baked dainties. And then that the birds came and they ate them. And Joseph goes, mmm, this isn't so good. Now, remember how with yours, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and restore you back. Well, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head too, just all the way off. You know, <laughs> it's not as, not as exactly as pleasant. And, and with that, you're going to be, the bread will be broken. And all of a sudden, in three days, you'll go from being in the pit to lift it up. And the cup will be restored and the bread will be broken. And I see Jesus all over that. 
And of course, he doesn't speak to the baker. He'll be dead. But to the other one, he says, hey, by the way, when you do get lifted up, could you, could you, could you remember me? Could you mention me to Pharaoh that I'm innocent, please? And with that, then three days comes, he's lifted up just like expected. And just like expected, he forgets. And I've heard someone say it's like divine amnesia. And the idea is, well, what if, what if at that specific moment, Pharaoh was delivered? I'm sorry, Pharaoh delivered Joseph. Because Joseph is going to spend at least two more years in prison. What if Joseph was released? Now, any one of us that were Joseph at that moment, if God says, I'm going to give you two options, an option of my glory on this one, or an option to let you go right here. Is there anyone in their right mind that chooses the glory moment at that moment? Anyone that has the kind of faith that says, well, is that, how, what does that mean? God's like, that's a couple more years in prison. You're like, hmm, is there sort of glory on this one versus lots of glory over here? But what did Joseph learn in that time? Joseph will be ultimately 14 years in this period of time. And in these 14 years, Joseph will have to learn how to speak like an Egyptian. He'll have to, dare I say it, walk like an Egyptian. Um, he will um, he will actually learn the, the fashion, which he won't learn much of in the prison, but he will back at Potiphar's house. And in all of that time, God is going to raise him up. Hear me, hear me, hear me. God is going to raise him up to be the physical savior of the world. Now, that's going to take two more years in the making. And, 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 and would you think for a moment God could put such a huge calling on you? He's a son of promise. And there are two major events that are going to take place in Joseph's life. Joseph's betrayal by his own, and then Joseph's reconciliation. And that's what we have yet to get to. In between that time is where we're at in Scripture. Joseph, now, what happened is we, at, we finished those two years and Pharaoh had a couple dreams. And in those dreams, there were, you know, there were seven beautiful fat cows, which, by the way, we won't develop that too much, but apparently fat is beautiful. And fat, beautiful cows. And then there were fat, there were skinny, ugly cows that ate the others and you wouldn't even know that they had eaten them. And then he woke up and went, well, that's a strange shame. Okay, what did I eat? And then he went back to sleep. And then he had this one of this, this weed or corn, whatever the case would be, and it grows up seven beautiful stalks, and then something blighted by the east wind eats that that's gnarly and thin and nasty. And then all of a sudden, he wakes up and goes, oh. And then, and then it's like, you know, the corn dream. Oh. And, and then he goes, ah, and he calls all of his magicians. He calls all of these guys that can spin around and wave dust in the air, and not a single one of them can help him. And by the way, some of these guys are big time bad because we know they're going to be able to do some really nasty things in a showdown Moses will do some time from now in Exodus. So it isn't like these guys can't do some things. And in all of that now, he looks and he goes, well, I should just kill you all. And finally he goes, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And it's his steward who's there with the cup who says, what is wrong with me? Two years ago, I knew this guy that can interpret dreams. What, what was I thinking? You know, he could probably help you. Now, Joseph, after how long does it take before you think someone's forgotten about you? I mean, he's been lifted up. He's back to serving the king. You're still in the prison underneath the floozy. And, and the guy, remember, your old boss. And all of a sudden, here you are. And all of a sudden, someone comes over and they open and say, hey, 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 um, Joseph, you're Joseph. Are you Joseph? You know, okay, well, um, Pharaoh would like to see you. Did any of you think, oh, goody? And we think this is probably going to be, you know, what's funny. And could you imagine if you turned around and all the other persons say, by the way, I'm probably going to get promoted to second in charge here. I mean, you think that guy is delusional. Which one of us would believe that? And so he goes, well, we're going to need to do some stuff. We're going to need to shave you. 
We're going to need to put some makeup on, you know, because the way the Egyptians, that's the way it works. We're going to put you in some nicer clothes because those aren't so, with all due respect. And, and let's, uh, let's get you. And so all of a sudden, he's brought before Pharaoh, and here he is, shaved. And by the way, when an Egyptian shaves you, there ain't hair left. That's just all there is to it. I mean, you ain't got eyebrows at that point, you know. So you were just, you were hairless, like a mole rat. And so, you know, you're standing before Pharaoh, and you're going, well, why would he shave me and do all of this before he would kill me? And I would be confused. Would you be confused? And, and Pharaoh's like, um, I, was, I was wondering if I could get your help. What? You're the most powerful man on all of the planet. Yeah, yeah, but I, I got these dreams, and they're bothering me. Fat cows, skinny cows, fat corn. You're thinking, wow. A fat cow and a skinny cow brought me up. Would any of you write that in your script? Oh, no, it's the blighted corn dream. Yeah, that'll work. Well, follow me on this. So all of a sudden he goes, well, what, what's going on? I don't get this. And he goes, well, actually, God has this habit of speaking in twos. He did it with me too, by the way, Joseph speaking, if you think about it. He's still waiting to see how that's going to come about. And he goes, well, well, here's the deal. There's going to be seven years of massive plenty. I mean, it is going to be beautiful. But the problem is it's only going to be seven years. And then there are going to be seven years of drought and famine. So bad. So bad that you won't even be able to... It won't look like there was ever been plenty here before. Now, God is working some amazing things behind the scenes in all of this. Part of it's getting Joseph in the position where he needs to be. Now, follow me on this. So in the case of that, he goes... And then Joseph steps out. Now, think about it. He is now counseling the most uh, influential man in all of the world. Well, actually, might I dare say, Joseph's the most influential man in all the world at this moment. You just didn't know it. He was just in prison just this morning. He was sitting next to his own waist, and now he got a bath and got cleaned up, and now look at where he is. It all happened within an hour. Think about that. How quickly does it take for God to change where you're at? Well, with that, he goes, so this is what I suggest. Seven years, so why don't you do this? Egypt normally took a tenth. Take a twentieth instead. You know, that's the idea. Take, five, take the idea, take a fifth. And when you do, store all that extra grain because you're not going to be able to do anything with it anyway. So let's store it up. And once we store it up, when those seven years of famine come, we've got food. Everyone gets frosted flakes for, for seven years. It's going to be just perfect, whatever the grain is. And, and, and Pharaoh goes, that's really good. He goes, but, but let me tell you, you need a guy over that. And, and, and it doesn't seem like Joseph's bargaining for that place. And all of a sudden, the Pharaoh goes, well, could there possibly be anyone else as wise as, well, you? Why don't, why don't you do it? Could you imagine what that would feel like to be Joseph at that moment? Go, what, what? And what if, he, if two years ago, he, been, he, could have been, he would have ran back to his house maybe or just tried to start a life somewhere else in the world and start over? And, and now all of a sudden, he's like, look it, I, I, I'm going to trust. I'm going I'm to lay the entire most powerful kingdom of the day in your hands. And I'm not going to let anyone raise a foot or a hand unless they get your permission. And you could see Joseph going, is this, would you pinch yourself? Was this, is this really happening? All right, we'll go to it. Now, there is one scary part about that. Well, what if the dreams don't come true, right? I mean, what if you don't have seven years of plenty? How long do you try to make it look like plenty, right? Wow, this is a really great harvest. No, it's about the same as last year. No, 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 really, it's really good. You know, and well, well, that's where we get to this. Now, in this, and forgive me for the lengthy inner, but I wanted to kind of get us all where we're at on the same page. Now, what we read here is now the abundant years brought forth abundantly, as abundant years should. The plentiful years. So they gather it up, and as they gather it all up, notice, by the way, for what it's worth in verse 48, they store it in the cities. Because why? Because that's where the people are. And then it says it got to the point that they did something very uncharacteristic of 
Egypt, which is, according to verse 49, he gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting. Now, please understand, Egyptians were the inventors of OCD. You know, if that means like, you know, the kind of thing where you like, everything has to be, all your pencils have to be in a row, that kind of thing. Well, that's Egypt. As a matter of fact, you can find all kinds of wall reliefs where things were counted down to the everything. And it's amazing. I mean, they would count the stalks of wheat. I mean, I mean, when you have that many slaves, you need to give them something to do, I guess. But by the way, it's interesting. Do you know the other thing that Egyptians were also known for? You might not know this. Making beer. Matter of fact, you can find wall reliefs of, of women throwing up from it. And uh, sincerely. But in all that, I find that interesting because I, I wonder in this particular season with it being so grain. But, but understand, there's more fruitfulness than just the fruit of the land at this moment. Because God also mentions during this time of plenty that he has a couple children. And notice the fruitfulness in that. Which, by the way, God just makes really clear, neither of them can happen. Please hear me. Neither of them can happen unless God does the miracle. And please understand something. I don't know what your school system has taught you. I don't know what the world around you has taught you, but you are no accident. You are no uh uh-oh in God's eyes. You are no just seemingly coincidental chance separation of a bunch of genes that somehow kind of evolved into the thing that you are. According to Scripture, God intentionally made specifically you your name. He knitted you together in your mother's womb and there was no part of him that was in confusion. God was not in debate. There was no part of it where God was just sort of thinking of a handful of other things while you were being made. He specifically had you on mind and there was no part of you, no part of you that God looked at and said, whatever, just do whatever you want to do. God knows and he knows it implicitly and understand he knows you so much that he's been chasing after you since the moment you've been breathing. And he did it in a sunset when he painted the canvas of the sky. And when he grew fields of flowers, don't tell me my God's not romantic. And he's been writing songs for you and the birds have been performing it out your windowsill since you have been old enough to hear them. That's my God. Why am I in love with this God? Well, I'm just reciprocating to some degree what he is of me because he's, obsessively in love with me. And and the reason I say that is, is that God has now shown something here, and that is that he's made this miracle of these seven years of plenty, but he's also made this miracle of a couple children. And please understand, I I got great advice when my wife got pregnant. I mean, please understand, this is now 15 years ago. And, and, And this doesn't have to be great advice for you, but it was for me, and that was, listen, you won't be a dad until you hold your child. Know that. Until then, you'll be the husband of a psychotic. Now, this is a guy who had a few children himself that said this. And by the way, my wife did not do psychotic well. She actually was too normal as far as I'm concerned. And was, see, look at you came in at the right time. Uh, I mean, turkey avocado sandwiches isn't psychotic. I mean, you know, you hear these stories of get me pickles or whatever. And I didn't get any of that. But I'm just, you know, I just, I just wanted to be available. And, um, but I remember the moment that our oldest was born and, and holding her in my hands for the first moment, she came out jaundiced, so she was tan. And, um, and she looked like a lizard, like all children do. And I said, she looks like you, honey, you know. And, um, you know. and I looked at this child who, of course, her eyes can't focus, but she looked straight at me. She clearly knew I was her father. And, you know, and I looked, and there's this perfect, innocent, holy, set-apart child, because she's set-apart because she's, she's mine. And I got to be honest, 
I never knew that miracle before that moment. My second thought was actually a bit bittersweet because what I understood of my daddy never had that. I was the one told, and this is not to ensue any form of pathos, but he's like, you were a mistake. If they, had had any, if they had handed out condoms back in those days, you wouldn't have been born. Those kind of things. And so I had to learn through scripture the difference. But let me just say, man, all of a sudden, different scriptures became really radical to me that I'd never really realized. Like, for instance, do you realize more times in scripture, God identifies his love as the father versus Jesus? I mean, think about how many times we thank Jesus for loving us because he died on the cross. Clearly the case. But what's the most famous verse in all of scripture? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave what? His only begotten son. Whose perspective is that from? Jesus' or the Father's? Who gave their son? The Father did. Did you get that? This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Who's that from? It's from the Father. See, I didn't know that until I became a dad myself. And I'll tell you why. And here's reason number 1,063 why you should be thankful I'm not God. Because I don't love you enough to kill my child for you. Can I just say that? So praise God I'm not God. I mean, to be honest, I might love you enough to die for you, sincerely. But I don't love you enough to, to have my child tortured for you. I'm sorry. So praise God that's not on the balance. Aren't you thankful? And I realize there is a love greater than dying for you. And that's the love of having someone you love so much die for you instead. And I realize that now. I never understood that at that point because of the miracle I held in my hands. But I still, she's a little bigger now. Sometimes it's a little bit, she's a little less willing, but she occasionally, I'll tell you what, at 14, and I'm just going to bear, she's right there. So you don't look, she's, anyways, we can, we can we'd still walk down the street holding hands. And, and that's, maybe that's weird. I know it's probably weirder for her than it is for me, but I'm so thankful. And I, I just, I just, man, I just, I never want her. And I pray that every man here that has a child or will, has this, that I never wanted ever to have to feel like she has to get over the word father in scripture, if that makes sense. And I know why the enemies work so hard at that. Because when we read that, he's, that God's into adopting, and we've already had an idea what father is, why in the world would we want another one when the first one wasn't so good? Can you see why the enemies work so hard at that? But there's never going to be a better father than this one. And, and, and back in our text, God did something miraculous. Now notice the result of it from Joseph. Joseph looks and he says, whoa, God's actually, this, this precious child helps me forget. Helps me forget what? Well, the last 14 years of struggles in Egypt, he'll still call the land of his affliction while he's the boss. And it's interesting because he's now the boss of the guy that was his boss that sent him to jail, for what that's worth. And, and not only that, but it's like, I, I not only forget that, but I, I, get, I forget all of that horrible stuff that happened to me when I was younger. Now, what if Joseph didn't let go of that? Well, first of all, it would be a pretty ugly story. The guys, his brothers are going to show up soon. And when they show up, he just kill him. And you go, wow, that's a miserable story. End of it all, Jewish people aren't there. Messiah can't come because all the Jewish people are dead except Joseph. I mean, amazing how that could work out. But instead, what happens is God's going to do something. Now, please understand, there comes this point where something so beautiful and profound happens that, to be honest, all that horrible stuff can be let go of. Now, listen, I'm not telling you you have the power to forgive and just go, why don't you just forgive everything that happened to you? What I'm telling you is the one who forgave you and forgave Hitler and forgave every human being for their rottenness lives inside of you if you've accepted Jesus. Ask him to forgive through you. Watch what happens. Because I'm here to tell you he, he can and he, and he does. 
He genuinely, honestly does. And scripture says, by the way, that when a woman is in travail, it's not such a pleasant thing. You probably didn't need to know that. You probably already knew that, right? I mean, childbearing is not an easy task. And I'm speaking as a guy who didn't go through that. Um, you're like, yeah, go ahead. You can just tell us. You're going to tell us about how bad it was. Um, my wife screamed twice, and she apologized both times. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Like, do you, I think you have a right. To, I was just waiting for that. I never loved you. You know, that? No, I never got any of that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, she just went, ah, sorry. Sorry for what? <laughs> Next door, the woman's given birth to, like, Satan. And she's like, ah. <laughs> and she was, given, she was in it for five hours before we got there. So we got wheeled in. We're like, okay. <laughs> I can see my wife going, okay. <laughs> ah, you'll pray for me. Um, <laughs> but it says when that baby's held, you forget about all that pain. If you didn't, you would only have one. To be honest, right? You'd say, whoa, in a way I'm going to. Okay, so we adopted the second. But anyways, the, uh, <laughs> sorry. But there's, and, and what God is, what the, the, the standard God's laying out is this. There could be something so beautiful that all that pain, it's, it's just over. And listen, there are going to be points in scripture where Jesus is going to go to a man who, by the way, has been lame for 38 years. And he's going to ask him a strange question in John 5. He's going to say, do you want to be well? Isn't that a strange question? Wouldn't you think, uh, you could you mean, think the guy would go, duh. But wait a minute. Do you know what you have to lose for being made well? You're going to actually have to take responsibility for your life. You can't just say, well, I'll never be anything anymore because that thing happened. Hey, I don't want to devalue that thing. But what if you left it behind? You know I mean, whose bondage is it now? And there's something, and by the way, Paul will actually say this present trial, this present tribulation cannot possibly be compared to the glory that will be soon be revealed. I mean, this is a guy, by the way, it isn't like his trouble is someone gave him a curt look in the store and called him some, a name because he said he was a Jesus freak. These people are beating him up, stoning him half to death. Maybe to death, and he comes up. That's debatable. I mean, he's been whipped a handful of times. He's been shipwrecked three times. I mean, this is a guy that's had a little bit of a rough life himself now that he's followed Jesus. And, you know, you, know, you I wish we could sit for, with Paul for just a moment. Was we read him, he'd be just like, yes, come on. Who wants to join me? Who wants to join me on the next mission trip? We may all die. And you'd be like, I'm not too sure. The signups are a little weak here. But if you could see it in his eyes, this like, you know what? There's just nothing like living with no stops, no breaks in this thing. I'm just following God with everything. And if I die, at least I die faithful. I mean, wouldn't you want to die in a good moment? You know, and it's probably like if I live all good moments, man, I can't lose. At least I'm doing the work. And I just, I watch that and he's like, it just can't be compared. And Paul at one moment, he says, look, you know, and he tries to say it as if it wasn't him. I, at least I just say my opinion, it's him. And he just says, you know, there was this guy, I don't want to say who, but he just saw the seventh heaven. And, and I tell you what, and so that I didn't get exalted, a thorn was put in my flesh. Put those two together, figure it out. It's in the same text in Second Corinthians. And I get this idea that Paul saw a little bit of heaven and it was just enough for him to look and go, oh man, it just doesn't matter anymore what happens here because I know what's waiting there. I'll take it now. I mean, if this is what it is, if this is where I got to get it bad and that's where it's going to be good, I'll take that. That's eternal. This is temporary. This is the good bad compared to eternal bad. I'm going with this. 
If those are my options, I'll go with this one. And I look at Joseph in all of this, and I, I kind of see this, and for a moment, Joseph looks and he holds this child, and he looks and goes, well, I'm going to call you, you make me forget. And i got to be honest, I see that with my own children. I look at them, I just, man, the, the guy I could have been, to be honest, the guy I was well on my way to becoming, and he's dead. I mean, we sang it, my old life is crucified. That guy's dead. It's over. My children have never seen a violent me. My wife has never seen a violent me. But I tell you what, that was who I was the day before I met her. I used to cuss in my prayers. I mean, I'd see it, I'd be like, God, get this blanking mouth blanking away from me. And the day I met my wife, God said, now it's time. Well, he knows why. If she had heard that, that would have been the end of that relationship. So <laughs> he knows. No, no, and here's the point. All the things that we chase after in this world that are so temporary, none of them are good enough to, let you for, to make you forget. And you'll go, wow, that was really, I can't wait for that thing. And then it's like, wow, there's a problem. I finally got the four. Oh, now the five came out. Oh, that's great. I need the five. I need the 5S, the 5G, the five whatever. I mean, it's amazing. And by the time you finally can afford to get it, the next one comes out. And now it's got a rough, touchy screen. And you can rub it on your face. And it, you know, whatever it does, it cooks your meal. It's got the, you know, the new iPhone, the new map, iMicrowave. Oh, that's nice. You know, and it's like, the reason I say that is, and it just doesn't, it's like a minor escape for a moment. We go see the movie. We get wasted or whatever it is. We chase after the next relationship. And we wake up and it's there again, staring us in the face. With a hangover or a sore stomach or your eyes hurt. And it's just worse because now you're worse off and always. Now, ultimately, what God's going to do in this text, friends, is he's actually going to bring the past on a crash course with him. But Joseph is already at a place where he's at peace and he's going to need to be. Because when it comes, he's going to be tested. You know, all of a sudden it flies in your face and you go, oh, and Joseph's not going to respond the best at first. Thank the Lord for that. He's human. But he's going to have some time for the Lord to get a hold of him. Now, can I just ask you something? Is there anything right now that's just slaving you? And maybe, maybe there was a time, to be honest, and I don't want to sound in any way diminuizing of it, but it was legitimate. I mean, something happened and it marred you. I mean, it really messed you up. It mucked you up. But now you're just kind of using it as a crutch so that you don't have to take responsibility for your life anymore. Now, like, you know what? I'll always be this. Look, at, let me just say this. Can I just dare say it this way? You came to Christ. He restored your virginity. Now, I, can I just say that? Because according to Scripture, it just says that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And I'm not saying that in some way to make it sick or weird or perverted. What I'm saying is stop living like that anymore if that's the case. I mean, and if you go, well, maybe you can't. Well, then, then I tell you what. He can through you. And one of the things he does in a place like this is put other people around you that can actually help you out of something. That's the beauty of it. I mean, if we laid out on a table all of the things we are X in this room, I think we'd all throw up if we saw it. Glory to God. And he says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's only God can do that. And only Jesus could pay the price. No one even offered. I mean, you take all of the religions in the world and you put them all on a table, only one offered to save you and it was the only one equipped to do so. Praise God that it was the one. This is the right one. This is, let me tell you about the second child. Now I'm, not, I'm going beyond the point. Now notice the order. First it's forget and then it's fruitful. Did you get that? Because I noticed that if you cling to all of that stuff, man, instead of clinging to the new person Christ wants to make you, 
You'll never be fruitful like he intended because your, your field is too full of your past. And can I say this? You can't change it, can you? And the devil loves to build a house there and try to get you to live in it. You'll always be that. You remember when you were 17? Remember what happened? Now, some of you, that was like a year ago. But for the rest of you, you know, you're, you're just always going to be that. And, and you can see the pictures in your mind's eye. It's like he's just been wearing that film out. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I might as well just go do it again because that's just who I am. I used to play American football. And I understand when I entered into secondary school, I was the smallest kid in my class. I was smaller than the girls. I know that's a little weird. I don't know what happened. Radiation, something. But um, <clears throat> was this tiny little creature. And you know what was really sad? It was That was the moment all the tall girls like me. I don't get it. I was like a plush toy maybe. But anyway... <laughs> And then something weird happened. All of a sudden, it's like I grew six inches in like a month or two. It was a bit painful. But all of a sudden, I looked like a 1950s vacuum because I had no torso. And I had these long legs and these long arms. Right? And, and, and so what happened is, is that like running wasn't a problem. And one of the reasons was because I had no resistance. You know? And so I, we had you know, the sort of gym class, the athletics class physical education and i would just run and these guys would be all panting and i'd just be like because i had nothing anymore my legs were just like you know like jeffrey anyways but um and the coach happened to be the code the the gym teacher happened to also be the coach of cross country and of football american football and so he said i'm gonna and he pulled me aside and he goes i'm gonna fail you from my class and i'm like what i'm what what are you talking what and he said unless you take one of my sports. And I'm like, that's extortion. We're all aware of that. But that's how it works in secondary school. Right? So, um, and he's like, well, where were my two cl- Well, I could run through the country or I could run and hit people. I'll run and hit people, you know? And so that's where I went. And so, and so I remember, and so the idea of it is, is the better you are, the more they try to hurt you. At least that's what I told myself because people were trying to hurt me. But, um, and I was the wide receiver. I was the guy that ran a lot and tried to catch the ball and then run from the ton of meat that was about to land on top of you. So fear, by the way, is a fantastic motivator at a moment like that. Now, here's the point. You're going, why are you even telling me that? Because even, even at, there was a point where we used to play, and in Chicago, we would play out, and there were pine trees trees everywhere. And these guys, what they would do is they would try to run you into the pine tree because they, you know, it's needles. That's unpleasant. The whole bit. But the backfires is a person who's catching the ball because you know what else is on pine trees? Pine sap. If you know anything about pine sap, it's really sticky. So now all of a sudden you could go and catch the ball with your finger because it was so sticky. Now the ball just stuck to you and then they couldn't knock it out of your hands. Well, you get done with a game like that, you are covered. I mean, a real game, you are covered in blood and mud and sap, and you're not really even sure which one's which anymore, you know? And you kind of walk in, and you can't bend your arms because everything's crusty, and you're kind of like this, and you look like something from a B film in the 70s, you know? And you come out. Now, at a moment like that, if you know if there are certain chores to do, there's like clean a toilet, that's the time to do it because you're going to take a shower after that, Right? But if you went and you took a shower and you were just all clean, at that point now you're like, well, there's certain things I'm just not going to do anymore because I'm already clean. Did you get that? And there are times where people are like, ah, oh, let's go out and do that. No, 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 no. That's not as interesting at this moment. I'm clean now. Now understand, when you came to Christ, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he didn't just mildly hose you off. He literally reinvented you. Did you get that? Now, to reinvent you means it's not even like the dust is just kind of daunt, it's on the ground somewhere for you to pick back up. The person that was that filthy died, and he made a new person in its place that has never known that filth. 
And then this person, he says, now I've got a plan for your life for this person. And the enemy goes, let me remind you of this person. But the more you're reminded of this person, the more apt you are to get back in the filth because this person knows filth. Does that make sense? This person, on the other hand, is a brand new person. It's hard to understand what it means to be pure. But that's where Christ makes you. And by the way, it doesn't just say whoever came to Christ became a new creation. It says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Do you see the difference? I know what it's like to say, oh, I gave my life to Jesus at 19, but I've done so much since then. I'm just as filthy as I was before. God's like, look at you perpetually continue to be a new creation because God knows that he doesn't just need to hose you off. Basically, the moment he made you new, he made you new, and then he had to keep making you new <laughs> because we keep making ourselves act old. Now, follow me on this. And so maybe we'll just finish the chapter. But in this, all of a sudden, there are two children. And I want to pray the same for you. First of all, that God would, through his loving grace, give you something that some of us who are older actually have. It's one of the reasons why older people don't fight as much. We can't remember the things we've done to each other. You know? I mean, when my wife and I were first married, it was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, on this date, at this time, you did this. You know, like, I think I did. No, no, no. I have have it written down in my head. Now it's like, did you ever do this? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Well, okay. Don't do it again. All right. Don't do it again. It's like, and that's grace. That's, can I just say, that's a forgetful grace. I mean, look at, you, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your entire future is gorgeous. The road ahead of you is beautiful. The road behind you should be filthy and ugly. Which direction do you think the Lord wants you looking at? Now, if I can look back and the only thing I saw was the blood of Jesus covering that, it'll backfire. Well, the enemy says, well, you did, you did. And I said, that's been, that's been bought. That's been paid for. Now, let me say this, and we'll bring this around to close and pray. And we're actually, well, strangely enough, on time. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this, starting in verse 1. Beloved, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation or payment, ransom payment, for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. But don't miss what just happened. God says there is a courtroom drama. And in that courtroom drama, you are actually the accused. Now, the accuser of the brethren, according to Scripture, is Satan, according to the book of Revelation. So his job, he's good at accusing you. And here's the scary part, at least for me, is I've given him enough things. Here's the one area he doesn't have to lie. I've given him enough honestly bad things for him to accuse me that he doesn't say. Well, remember when he robbed that liquor store? Because I haven't done that. At least that I can remember. Anyway, so, um, so you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, yeah, he did, he did, he did, he did. And the more I give attention to that, the more I will actually believe the condemnation he's tossing at me. And I look at that and I think, wow. Could I possibly ever? And after he's done ranting and raving, Jesus stands up, who, by the way, according to that, is my defense attorney. And he stands up and looks at the, at the judge and says, <clears throat> Dad, can I approach the bench? Comes up. And he says, let's look at the book. And the book is covered in the blood of Jesus. And it says, look, at he's not just my defense attorney. It says he's my propitiation, which means he's my payment. How frustrating must it be for the enemy? Because the enemy says, he didn't. Jesus says, I paid for that. He did. Paid for that. Paid, 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 paid. If I were to listen to that courtroom drama the right way, that's all I would hear. 
And the enemy goes, whoa, he did, he did, he did, he did. You know, she did, she did, she did. And he looks and Jesus goes, like, I, I paid for all that. It's done. Paul says, look, at, I haven't attained it, but this I do. I leave what is behind and I press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, for whom I've lost all things. He says, I do it all over again. Now, the rest of the world's going to get you looking back there. This is the place where we look forward. And in this beautiful, gorgeous book, there's a boy who needs to move forward. Because he could, let's face it, if he just killed everyone that had a stein or a bomb at the end of their name, you'd actually feel like he was justified for a moment because his brothers did him wrong. He begged them. What we'll see in the next chapter, which seems to be next week, um, is that he begged them. And they just wholly hardened their hearts. It's like, I'm not listening. Please, guys, you can't do this. You're my brothers. You can't do this. They're like, whatever. Bye. Will you take the guy away? How much of that do you have to see of your own brothers before you think you're a dead man? And then being put in the place where you could kill him with no recourse whatsoever? You could say, you guys are spies, let's kill him. And that's the end of the story. Nobody says anything twice. But yet, you know what? Then he'd live the rest of his life in the bondage of what he did. And he doesn't anymore. It's interesting because Joseph was, was freer in a prison physically, but in living in forgiveness than he ever could have been walking out in the open land without it. This morning, I had the opportunity to go to a prison to share Jesus with a group of people. We sang the song, Beautiful. I'm going to tell you, I've never heard that song louder in my life. It was amazing, especially when you hear the, the words, Jesus, your cross has made me free. These are people who don't have to come to church. They come only because they want to. And it's early enough that if you really just wanted to go to church, you'd go to the Catholic service because it's later and more convenient. These are people who got up at a time when they didn't have to. And they got up. And I tell you what, man, there was people were weeping because of the, the idea that somehow in it, there's a freedom that's more important than the bars that they're sitting behind right now. And in this, in this, the Lord wants to hand you today the most beautiful, sweet gift and the gift of forgiveness and forgetfulness. And in that, he wants to make you fruitful. But it starts, by the way, with accepting his gift. And the gift is simple. I don't know about, well, I do know about you, but I won't pressure you like I would me. I deserve to get beat up. I do. I can tell you the life I've lived, it tells us the rods for the back of a fool. I've been foolish. You smite the mouth of a person who's cursed others. I've done that. You spit on a person who's humiliated others. I've done that. All of the punishment Jesus received, I rightly deserve. The most amazing thing isn't the fact that there, that, you know, oh, there aren't a lot of ways. The bottom line is that anybody would ever want, knowing everything about me, wanting to pay for all of that anyways who is completely innocent and willing to take all that punishment just so that I could actually have a relationship with the God who created me to be with him. And in that, a child was born. And in that, that God says, I want to give you a brand new life, not just clean you up or redecorate you, but reinvent you. Have you accepted that gift? Because right now, whether you know it or not, you're living in a land of plenty and there's a great gift that's coming in this time because the, the talk, God talks about a famine and the famine he speaks about in God's eyes is worse than this because it's a famine of the word of God where people won't even open up a Bible because all they'll talk about is something political or social or whatever. Hey, beloved, 
At the moment, you've got a beautiful book in your hands you can feast on, feast on it. But in it, what you're going to find is there is a God who loves you, who is head over heels in love with you, who rejoices over you with singing and can't stop thinking about you. Now look at it as we go to prayer. Have you said yes to that Jesus? Not only did he die on the cross, he rose again. Now the death killed the old you. The resurrection made a brand new you. God bless you. It's the new you he wants to start living. And by the way, I've heard it said, you can't give someone the measles unless you have it. And I want to see this world infected with Jesus. But unless unless you're infected, you're not going to be contagious. So Christians, what are you holding on to? Is there anything that you said, you know what, I'm just going to hold on to that because that way I could just claim myself a victim compared to the Jesus who died on the cross? offers you new life. What if you walked out of here victorious? Is that a dream? Is that a crazy dream? Is it any crazier than the truth of the history of this guy that got pulled out of the pit and made second in command within an hour? God's in the business of this. But that's the choice you need to make. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this time. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this text. I want to thank you so much for Manasseh and for Ephraim. I want to thank you for that seven years of plenty. And how in that seven years of plenty, you brought such blessing that Joseph was able to let go of the things that had been done to him. And clearly there's betrayal. There's heartlessness and ruthlessness. There's abuse. Oh, God. We live in a fallen world and people are wicked. By the way, so am I. And I know if we would take all of the punishment of all of mankind and put it on a person, it would look like what you suffered, Jesus. And I just pray right now, Lord, first of all, for every Christian in this room, who has somehow been led to believe that our identity is still to be, well, this way, that that Jesus, you crucified who we were. You nailed him to the cross. He's a dead man. And we shouldn't get our identity from our gravestone. Because all that shows is your death, not your resurrection. I want to live in your resurrection, the power of that resurrection. So please, Lord, please, right now, for each of us here, that if we said yes to you, can you start steering our eyes to the forward and show us what you're making us, giving us glimpses, Lord, of this amazing masterpiece. I mean, you created the heavens and the earth, Lord. You, you spoke the universe and all of its glory into existence, and yet you take time to make us. How could, to think that we could outshine the glory of the universe, that of all the things you make, we're your masterpiece? with no greater artist than you in all of eternity. So, Lord, where the enemy has built a lodging in our past, Lord, wash it in the flood of your blood, just like the Pharaoh's army was washed away when you closed up the Red Sea. That we could see all of that washed away, no longer to be a threat. For those, Lord, who have embraced the idea that they'll always be who they were, God, show them that you are 
You're bigger than that. And I thank you, God, that I'm living proof that you, that you make people new creations. But right now, at the sound of this voice, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, maybe you're not sure. You can walk out of here, sure. I'd love the honor of offering you freedom. The honor today of offering you forgiveness. Offering you purity, wholeness, newness. I ask you to listen to this prayer. I don't ask you to repeat because I want you to hear what I'm saying. And as you listen to this prayer, if you agree, I ask you at the end to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, so be it. Let those words be my words. That prayer is my prayer now. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'm not perfect. I'm faulty. I'm, I'm guilty by my own sinful actions, my thoughts, my intentions. I'm not pure in of myself. But you love me anyways. You want me anyways. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me because my sin needed to be punished. And so, as much as I know how tough it must have been for you, Jesus, Father, that you would give your only son to do this is astounding because you love me that much. And that as he paid the price on the cross, all of my debt has been paid. All of my guilt has been punished. All of my wrong has been vanquished. And it dies there. But I also believe you didn't allow it to allow Jesus to stay there. Jesus, you said you had the power to lay down your life and raise it up again. And on three days, just like scripture promised, you rose from the dead. You don't offer me a cleaned up old life. You offer me a brand new life. No longer enslaved in the bondage of where we once were, where I once was. Now I recognize I've got programs I've built into me that you need to remove completely priorities that are wrong, ideals and crazy ideas of justice that might be wrong. But God, I may not have the strength to hand all this over to you, but I gladly accept your offer of forgiveness. I gladly accept, Lord, your offer of purity, your offer of making me new, submitting myself to you as into your hands as to a faithful master and artist, to, to shape me into that which is most beautiful in your eyes. And I may have a problem trusting. I may have a problem with all of this world around me, but God, you've never done me wrong. You've proven your love to me. And so I say yes. And Father, as much as the world may be messed up in regards to fathers, if you really are this perfect father, would you adopt me as you desire? Make me your own. Put me under your care now. Your provision and protection. That I can dwell in your presence. So I say yes to your payment, Jesus, for my sins. Confessing him as my Savior and Lord. I surrender my life to you now. Have me and do with me as you wish. I know it's going to be best. So here I am. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say... Amen.
Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to open up the word with you, for the honor of being able to go through it and the joy of being your pastor. Hey, um, just take a moment, would you? And just let the Lord minister to your heart. Enjoy each other. Enjoy fellowship. Get to meet each other, please. And uh, God bless you. Enjoy your day.